official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. So uh, today we're starting our new series on the kingdom of God. And as you may or may not know, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about the kingdom of God. In fact, it was the topic he taught the most on was the kingdom of God. He probably taught most on it because it's not a super easy thing for us to comprehend or grasp. It's kind of like teaching a fish about dry land. (laughs) In the sense that we don't have a reference for the kingdom of God. The only source of reference that we have for kingdoms are earthly ones. And when you hear the word kingdom, I'm guessing that what comes to mind is is not a heavenly utopia, right? Because when we look at history, when we look at current events, we see kingdoms and nations preoccupied with self-interest, right? With corruption, intimidation, racism, violence, mistrust, greed, abuse of power. It's just the nature of sin-torn kingdoms. And it's primarily because they're run by human beings, imperfect human beings like you and I. Which is why Jesus went to great lengths to reorient our vision. It's why he went to great lengths to show us how the kingdom of God is different from the kingdoms of this world from our earthly kingdoms. And so when you read the Gospels, what you find is Jesus going to proclaim and demonstrate what the kingdom is like. And he provided parables to explain it, to give us a frame of reference. And so in in the Gospels, you'll read something like this. Jesus is talking about the kingdom, and he'll say, the kingdom of God is like a pearl. Right? In other words, he's saying to his disciples and his listeners and his followers, you guys don't have a frame of reference for the kingdom of God because you just have your earthly kingdoms to look at. But the kingdom of God is not like earthly kingdoms. Let me tell you what it's like. The kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. Or I'll say the kingdom of God, it's like a seed or a garden. He'll say the kingdom of God, I'll tell you what it's like because you don't have a frame of reference, but it's like a fishing net. And so he tells all these parables. And the reason he's telling the parables is because he understands we don't have a reference for it. When we hear the word kingdom, we just think of our earthly kingdoms. And and Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's different than your earthly kingdoms. Now, the word kingdom is mentioned 126 times in the Gospels. In the book of Matthew alone, it's mentioned 55 times. Yet... Even with all of this conversation and discourse Jesus had with his disciples about the kingdom, the disciples still had trouble envisioning it. And we do too. Uh, But Jesus made it a point to teach about the kingdom of God. And it's central to our faith. And I'm glad Jesus did teach about the kingdom of God as much as he did. I have found tremendous hope in Jesus' teachings on the kingdom. I don't know about you, um, but the kingdoms of this world don't have me doing cartwheels. 
right? I, I, can, I, can we make this confession time? Can I give you guys a confession? As a pastor, I know I'm not supposed to do this. Not, not, not give confession, but like admit to what I'm going to admit to. Um, <laughs> uh, for the last few weeks, I haven't watched any of the news. And I know as a pastor, I'm supposed to be up on current events. I'm supposed to know what's going on in the world. I'm supposed to know what God's doing. Like, that's a responsibility we have, right? But I've been neglecting that responsibility for the reason that it's just all so depressing. I turn on the news, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I, I, I'm not sure I can handle anymore. Have you guys ever felt like that? Phew, I thought it was just me, and you were going to fire me. <laughs> but here's why I'm excited about this seven-week series on the kingdom of God that we're going to do. Because Jesus said the kingdom of God isn't like other kingdoms, which to me is really good news. And I want to start watching the news more, but I've got to get some good news of the kingdom of God. <laughs> I've got to like counterbalance it somehow. You know what I'm saying by that? And, and what I love about Jesus teaching about the kingdom, even though I can't fully comprehend it, it's like I'm like a fish trying to understand dry land. The, the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is a kingdom without hostility and fear, without violence, corruption, without greed or self-interest or abuse of power. The, Isaiah the prophet kind of told us a little bit about the kingdom. He said this, that when God's kingdom comes, the nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Can you imagine a kingdom like that? Later on in, in, in his prophetic writings, he, he says this, that when the kingdom of God comes, the lion will lay down with the lamb, and a child will play by a cobra's den. We have no reference for that kingdom. But to me, that kind of kingdom sounds like good news. And the gospels tell us this, that Jesus went about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And so my hope and prayer for this series, the next seven weeks, uh, is that our anticipation for the kingdom of God grows and develops so that we can participate in it here and now. And so I want to jumpstart this series and jumpstart our conversation about the kingdom of God with, by talking about one of the more mysterious aspects of the kingdom of God, and that's this. The already here, but not yet, nature of it. Um, the picture we get in the Gospels of Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is present, but it also has a future reality. In, in other words, it's already here, but not yet. And that's confusing because it's kind of like a dichotomy. Wait a second. How can it be already here but not yet? Well, let me explain a little bit about what Jesus taught before we jump into this series. In Luke chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus says this, The kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, the kingdom of God is here right now. It's in your midst. But then... It went, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and he tells them, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Have you guys ever found that when you read scriptures, like, it seems to contradict itself? <laughs> like, Jesus said the kingdom is in your, in your midst, and then he's saying, hey, when you pray, pray for God's kingdom to come. And his disciples, like, if it was me, I'd be scratching my head, like, which is it, God? Like, is it here? 
Or is it supposed to come? Like you have us praying that it's supposed to come, but you're, then you're telling us it's here. I'm confused by this. Well, the answer is it's both and. Because when Jesus taught about the kingdom, he taught about it in a way that communicated that the kingdom of God is in-breaking. In other words, it, it's, it's here, but not yet. See, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we pray the words, your kingdom come, what we're really saying is we're saying, bring the kingdom, Lord. It's not here the way we want it to be. It's not here the way it should be. And so Jesus essentially taught that the kingdom of God is here, and I'm going to make a way for you to be a part of it. That's what Jesus taught. But he also taught this. It's not going to appear immediately in its fullness. And so there's this there's tension, dichotomy that we, that we live in as followers of Jesus when we talk about the kingdom of God. Now, this was not easy for the early disciples to understand because they were expecting the kingdom to come a certain way. They wanted Jesus to be a military conqueror who would overthrow Rome. That's what they expected of him. And, and, and Jesus would tell them time and again, no, my kingdom is not like your earthly kingdoms. My kingdom, it, 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 it's not of this world. It runs on a completely different set of values. Jesus would tell them, you're looking for a king who can free you from your geopolitical enemies, but I'm ushering in God's kingdom through a crucifixion and a resurrection. And even after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, the disciples still had problems trying to make sense of everything. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. He's already been crucified and resurrected, and he's appearing to his disciples for 40 days, and he's about to ascend to heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples ask him, Lord, now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I love Jesus because he doesn't even address their question. <laughs> he just ascends up to heaven. He's probably thinking on the way up, like, what am I going to do with these knuckleheads? <laughs> they just don't get my teaching about the kingdom. Well, in Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to look at today. And in Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells a parable to explain the already here but not yet nature of the kingdom. And the reason he does this is in verse 11 of Luke 19, it says this, the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once, right? They had expectations about how this would look like. Jesus is going to overthrow Rome. There's not going to be any more oppression. Um, and Jesus has the goods to do it, right? Like they just saw him levitate. They thought, oh yeah, this is good. This is going to help us. This is the kingdom's coming right at once. Well, in, in Luke 19, Jesus is already at work telling them, no, it, it is already here, but it's not yet. Now, before we read this parable, I have to qualify it first. So can you give me, pay attention just for a few minutes before we read this parable, because this qualifier is important. Parables in the Bible are not always point-for-point point allegories. Sometimes the, the details of a parable aren't the point. It's the central message of the parable that really matters. And the reason that's important is because if you don't understand how rabbis like Jesus used parables, then you'll likely misunderstand what's being communicated. For example, can, I, can we go into this parable before we even read it? For example, um, when we get to the end of this parable that we're going to read in just a minute, I'll guarantee you that you will dislike the central character. 
You're going to, as we read it, you're going to think, man, this person sounds cruel and harsh and overbearing and violent and just seems petty and seems greedy. And you might think to yourself, whoa, that's a picture of God and his kingdom? No, that's not the message Jesus is, is conveying through this parable. It's not a point for point allegory. Jesus isn't implying that God is a violent, cruel, greedy uh, ruler. He, he's making a different point about God's kingdom. And it's important to remember the reason that Jesus gave this parable in verse 11 tells us why. The reason Jesus told this story, this parable, was because some thought the kingdom of God was imminent. That it was going to come and appear suddenly. And so Jesus told this parable. So with that in mind, are we ready to read it? Jessica, come on up and Jessica's going to read our passage this morning. Luke 19, 11 through 28. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subject hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good and faithful servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, Your mina has earned five more. His master answered, So you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. For those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Okay, so let's unpack this parable a little bit. Many scholars believe that Jesus told this parable of the minas. Jesus told this parable with a real-life story in mind, which wasn't uncommon for rabbis to do when they told parables. And it matches up really well with the historical account of the Roman governor Archelaus in 4 BC, who, after his father died, he went to Rome to receive part of his father's kingdom And some of the Jews uh, 
were not happy with his appointment. They weren't happy with his claim to power, and so they disputed it. Archelaus was crowned anyway, and when he returned from Rome, he had all of his uh, detractors killed. And so when Jesus was telling this story, the people who were listening would probably have known that story. And so it's very important to make clear, Jesus is not implying that God is like Archelaus. He's already made it clear that the kingdom of God is different than the kingdoms of this world. He's making a different point. And so what I'd like to do is is look at what is the main point here that Jesus is communicating with this parable. And I would argue that there's two. There's two points that Jesus is making with this parable. And the first one is this. The nobleman in the parable, in the story, was in line to be king even before his initial appointment. Okay, so when, when, when the nobleman goes away to a distant country to be appointed king, you could already say it's a formality. You could say it's a done deal. Like he's already king. He just needs to go get appointed. And he had to travel to a distant country to be appointed king before he returned with the crown. That's a picture of the already here but not yet nature of the kingdom of God. Right? We know this, for instance. Jesus is our king, right? He's our Lord. It's a done deal. His kingdom is already in breaking, even if it's not fully realized yet. And one day, Jesus is going to come back with a crown, and he's going to set right the world. He's going to fully restore God's original intent. Heaven and earth, the scripture tells us, are going to merge together. We're going to see a kingdom unlike any that we've ever experienced. There's going to be no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more suffering, no more war, no more racism, no more injustice, no more violence, no more greed, no more abuse of power. That's... That's good news. That's the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus is proclaiming. And so the kingdom Jesus is teaching us in this parable is already here, but not yet. You guys got that? Now we can go to the second point of this parable, and it's this. There's a responsibility that comes with being part of God's kingdom. In the parable, the nobleman gave out money, a a mina, which is about equivalent of four months of wages, right? Not a lot, but a significant amount. And he, in, in the parable, the nobleman gives them out, and then the nobleman leaves. And the people who, the 10 servants who he gave to, they had a responsibility to use it to extend the kingdom, right? In the same way, Jesus has given us responsibility We have the same choice as the servants in the parable. We can do one of two things. We can hide what he's given us and wait for Jesus to return. Right? Or we can engage in kingdom activity right now like it's already established and set up. Right? Let me, let me, I'll be careful when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. One of the flaws with the American church is how little emphasis we put on our responsibility to do kingdom work. Let me frame that out before you stone me. (laughs) We're really good at focusing on what we need to believe. And we focus so much on what we need to believe, we dismiss our responsibility as heavenly citizens. We, we, We... 
believe all the right things, we just don't act on them. Act on them. And the problem isn't so much that we don't know what to do, it's that we don't do what we already know to do. Um, and I'm not saying belief isn't important, it's essential. You can't even become a citizen in God's kingdom without faith. Did you know that? You, you can't even become a citizen in God's kingdom without faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, it's by grace we're saved through faith, not of works. And so you can't earn your way into citizenship in the kingdom of God. You have to believe that you have to have faith. But what, what the problem is, we forget also what the book of James tells us, that faith without works is dead. And the parable that Jesus tells here makes it clear that if we want to be citizens of God's kingdom, we have a responsibility. Our faith has to have arms and legs. It's not enough just to know all the doctrines and, and believe all the right things. It actually has to lead us into action. See, when, when in the parable, when they gave the, re, the responsibilities, when they gave the, the, the minas to the servants, they had a choice what to do with it. And one of them hid it, right? And the others used it as if the kingdom was already established. And when the nobleman returned with the crown, he said, oh, you, you were faithful with what you were given. And so here's my question for you today. What are you doing with the resources, talents, gifts, and abilities that God has given you? See, here's the unfortunate truth. We live in a world full of unbelieving activists and inactive believers. And that's on us as Christians. And until we stop hunkering down in our churches, hiding what God's given us to do, waiting for Jesus to return, which, by the way, did not go well for the person in that parable. <laughs> but if we choose that route, we're going to miss out on the full joy of experiencing participating in the kingdom of God here and now. So what has God given you that you can use to extend his kingdom? Now, I'm not talking about churchy stuff. Churchy stuff is great. I love churchy stuff. I'm a pastor. I love churchy stuff. It's great. But what I'm talking about goes way beyond churchy stuff. Maybe God's given you the means to serve the underprivileged and impoverished. You know, we, we, we partner with one organization in town called A New Place, and they walk with homeless population, and, and they have a two-year program, and they get them in transitionary housing, they help them with job skills, they get them on their feet, and, and once in a while, our church will get together and we'll put a meal together for them, cook a meal, and bring it over and just eat it with them. And I think you saw it on the events calendar. We have one coming up in December, right? So, so maybe you have a free Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? What is December 4th? Maybe you have that night free. Maybe God's given you that night to do something with it. You know also that there are friends over at the New Moon Cafe, 150 Cherry Street. Once a month, the third Saturday of every month, they put on a banquet for all the homeless folks in our, in our city. Last month, they had 150 homeless friends come to that banquet. And the local churches and campus ministries volunteer and serve that. And then we, what I love about this banquet is it's not just served. You sit down and eat with them and become friends with them. 
And, and it's not just some sloppy spaghetti put on a styrofoam plate with a plastic fork either. This is like a legit banquet. Like the food is awesome. And our friends at New Moon Cafe, they pay for all that. And the church is, man, what, what if you... what? What if you ha- God's been giving you the, the burden and the heart and the ability and the free night, the free Saturday night, the third Saturday of the month, to volunteer and just serve the impoverished and underprivileged? What if God has put in your hand a burden for prison reform? There's another organization that our church is partnering with called Church at Prison. We got Church at the Well, they got Church at Prison. And what they do is they go into prisons every Sunday. They're going this afternoon. I think Tom Millington's going to be there this afternoon at 4 o'clock doing church in the prison. And they not only do church in the prison, but they have this pathway for post-incarceration where they walk with folks and, and get them on their feet and offer spiritual support and help them get employment. Our church was able to give $5,000 last December to that pathway for, for post-incarceration. Maybe that's what God's put in your hands to do. Maybe he's given you the heart to mentor a child or a kid or a teen, to go to a camp. Maybe he's given you the calling to adopt a child. We have a lady in our church. She's not here today, so let me brag about her. We have a lady in our church named Deb Holinich, who served in Thailand as a missionary for 11 years. She moved back to Vermont to take care of her ailing parents. After her parents passed away, you know what she did? She responded to God's call to adopt a child. See, that's, that's, to me, when I see Deb, I see a servant where Jesus put a mind in her hand, and she goes, oh, I think the kingdom of God's right here right now. I'm going to act like it is, even though it's not yet. And I'm going to take this, and I'm going I'm to be responsible. I'm going to be a faithful citizen of the kingdom. Maybe you've been given an artistic ability or gifting to create beauty in your neighborhood, or the capacity to educate people on creation care. Or to speak up for the unborn and the immigrant and, and those with special needs. What has God put in your hand? Maybe it's to be a support to people who are struggling with addiction and depression. Maybe it's to, to stand with folks who, who are tackling issues of racism. What? Has God put in your hand? See, our problem as American Christians is we hunker down in our churches and we take what God's given us. We don't even think it's a big deal, so we just hide it in a cloth. We say, oh, Jesus, come back. The world's a mess. (laughs) And the reason Jesus told this parable is no. Yes, the kingdom is to come. Yes, it's not fully here, but it's here and right now. You don't have to wait. You can be an active participant in the kingdom of God right now. And one day Jesus is coming back with a crown. He's going to set the world to right. The kingdom is going to be experienced in a fullness. We can't even fathom what it's going to be like. Heaven and earth are going to merge together. But we don't have to just sit here waiting for that to happen. Jesus says, no, you can participate in it now. Maybe you're supposed to combat the systemic problems in our education system or, or whatever it is. You need to be asking, God, what did you give me? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, I guarantee you, he has put something in your hand. You've got to be responsible and discover, what is this? What am I supposed to do with this? And so what has God put in your hand and asked you to steward? And one more question. When Jesus returns, will he find you faithful with what he gave you? 
Will he find you faithful with it? I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced of this more than ever. That the world we live in desperately needs to see a kingdom alternative. Because we're all like fish trying to find out what land is. And Jesus is, is kind enough to be patient with us and to talk about the kingdom of God over and over and over again to give us some frame of reference. And I believe it starts right here in talking about this already here but not yet nature of the kingdom. And if we can just get our brains wrapped around that and our hearts wrapped around that and say, yes, the kingdom is coming. Yes, we need to pray for God's kingdom to come. It's not the way here the way it should be. But it's already here in that Jesus has invited me to participate as if it was, right? So my hope and prayer for our series in the kingdom of God is, is for us to learn more about the kingdom over these seven weeks and discover ways to become responsible, faithful citizens in it. So can I pray for us? Actually, let me, let's do this. Let me not pray for us. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Can we do that? Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing one last worship song. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 